it's probably about four years since I was here last, and we were, we were trying to do the sums earlier. And uh, one of the things that I love is the local church, but I love seeing progress in the local church. When you see churches go through ups and downs and ins and outs, and people come and people go, but there's a, there's a heart of every local church which makes it the gift of God to its community. And that's what you guys are. You're the address of Jesus in this community. You're, the, you're the, the address of heaven here on earth for people to connect with new life and hope and a future. And I just have enjoyed yesterday evening getting time again with Paul and Sarah and reconnecting with many of you this morning. Those of you I don't know, I'm just thrilled to meet you because you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world in this place. That's what it's all about. You know, I'm, um, I'm a family man, and uh, I've got four kids. They're all grown and married and stuff. I've got my 10th grandchild due in June. So I'm a, I'm a blessed guy in that level. I'm a poor man as well because of it, but <laughs> that's the way it goes. Uh, but it's awesome. And, you know, when you've got kids, uh, three boys and a girl. The girl was second. So I soon learned that the boys had a different attitude to education than the girl. I don't know whether that's typical or not, but my lads did not like school. So they sort of tolerated school. But my girl was sweet and worked and ended up going to university and doing the stuff. The lads were more practical. They didn't, they didn't want to go to school. So they'd come home from school and I'd say, what have you learned today? And it'd be, nothing. Or what have you done today? Uh, nothing. He said, no, you've done something. There's been a program. There's been lessons. And what I learned was, just because a child was in school does not mean they learn anything. It's true, isn't it? And I've also learned, just because people sit in church doesn't mean they become better Christians. You know, there's this process. There's a need to actually interact with the learning environment that you find yourself in. And my daughter worked it out. If I ask questions, if I put myself in, if I study, I do better in the long run than my brothers. <laughs> and she holds it over them, as you can imagine. It's wonderful. <laughs> but you know, it got me thinking about not just church and the sense of school and stuff like that. I got thinking about Jesus. Because we often say to ourselves, oh, if I'd have been with Jesus, if I'd have been able to sit on the mountainside and listen to him teach, if I'd have seen him turn the water into wine, oh, I'd have been a better Christian than I am today. I wonder, just because those 12 were around him, does that just automatically mean they would become better followers of Jesus? Well, we know what happened to Judas. Enough said. Uh, I, I think life is always about my choosing to put myself into the environments that God places me in to learn from. If you're married in here today, your marriage is a learning environment. Oh, yes. And you have to put yourself in, don't you? If you're a parent, you've got to put yourself into the learning environment of family and so on. It's a principle of life. And it got me thinking around 
these disciples in particular. And this morning, I want to encourage you to put yourself into the learning environments God's got you in. Because if you do, you get something that we all want. Now, I'll come to that in a little while. But there's something we all say we want as Christians. And not everybody seems to get it. But we all want it. And I think there's one disciple in particular who modeled getting this thing. And that is Peter. Simon Peter. Of all the disciples, he seems to stand out to me on a number of levels as a guy who really got stuck in to being around Jesus. Let me just read a few verses to you to, to sort of contextualize this for you from Luke chapter 5. This is where Peter first makes a strong decision to start following Jesus. Now, he'd met Jesus before. He had, um, actually, when the first time Jesus met him, he knew his name, and it freaked Peter out a little bit because he said to him, oh, yeah, yeah, you're Peter, aren't you? So word had already got to him. And on this particular day, we read in Luke 5, that Jesus was standing by the lake, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So basically, the boat's become his pulpit to talk to the people. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all last night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. Isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of fish. We don't know how big these boats were, but that's got to be a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, he was, he's getting this understanding that Jesus is a special guy. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This was the beginning of a Peter's journey with Jesus. I know it sounds, it's written in a very short format there, but that's a pretty major life-changing decision. And I would probably guess that a fair proportion of you in here today have already had a moment like that. That there was a, there was a, a period of time when you, you heard about Jesus, you started watching what Jesus was doing, you met some Christians, some followers of Jesus, and at a point in the journey, you began to realize, this guy Jesus. And I hope you reached a place where you, in effect, fell to your knees and went, whoa. I'm a sinful guy. I'm a sinful girl. I'm, I'm not really worthy. I'm not fit to be doing life with you, Jesus. And Jesus said to you, don't be afraid. 
come on, follow me, and I'm going to make you the fisher of men. And from that point on, you became a, a conscious follower of Jesus. You became a modern-day disciple. And now every moment of every day, you try and do life with your eyes on Jesus. So you read his word to learn about him, and you pray to him, you talk to him, you meet with other believers in church, and it's become part of who you are. It was a radical decision for them to pull their boats on the beach, leave their livelihoods, their past life, and turn and start to follow Jesus. And that's kind of what we've all done if we're a Christian today, isn't it? Now, we've, now we're in this learning environment of being around Jesus, being with him and following him. Well, as I've tracked Peter's story, I began to realize Peter seemed to get more out of Jesus than some of the other disciples. Now, I don't know whether you've ever wondered why some Christians seem to motor strongly and some seem to go slow, but I would suggest to you it is all about this sort of attitude I want to talk to you about. Peter put himself in. By that, I mean simply this. He was, he was really observant. He did life with his eyes open. It bothers me how many people don't do life with their eyes open these days. They're sort of carried along by life, but they're not actually observing what's going on. So as Jesus is teaching and they're, they're following him, Peter's watching. Now, there was once um, an incident where Jesus cursed a fig tree. Bit of an unusual story. But they're, they're, they're getting, they've been walking all day. They're hungry. They're getting near the city for the evening. And they go to a fig tree to get some fruit. And there's none on it. So Jesus cursed it. They keep walking into the city, spend the night. No doubt they got supper and breakfast. And next morning, they're coming back out of the city and they have to walk past the spot where the tree is. All the disciples are walking past, but Peter notices. And you'll read, you'll read it in, um, in Mark 11. It's Peter that says, hey, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. As if... That's amazing, Lord. What you said happened. But he's, he's observing, he's pointing it out. Oh my. If you will live life with your eyes open, God is doing stuff all the time. Listen to the stories. People are getting saved and helped and healed and set free. People are working through issues. They're finding wholeness. But you've got to have your eyes open to see it. And when you see it and articulate it, somehow it brings faith to you to believe for more for yourself. He was observant. Of course, because he was observant, he also asked lots of questions. In fact, he probably became known as the disciple who was the annoying child in the class. Now, why? Always the extra question, always pushing a little bit harder. But I think the other disciples were really relieved. It's good to have somebody like that in the group, isn't it? Well, why not be it? <laughs> you know, be it. <clears throat> Jesus was teaching in Matthew 15 about what makes us unclean. And um, Jesus explains, it's nothing to do with what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out of your heart that demonstrates you're actually already unclean because of the sin problem. And at the end of it, there's silence. And Peter speaks up in Matthew 15 and he says, Lord, 
explain the parable to us. You know, he pushes. So te Jesus teaches a little bit more. Um, in Luke 12, 41, Jesus teaches a parable about being watchful. And at the end of it, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? See, his attitude was, if this is for me, I don't want to miss it. Now, that's how you have to sit in church. When you listen to God preaching and people sharing the word, you have to sit there thinking, is this for me? It's so easy to sit there and think, oh, yeah, it's for them. Where's Jenny? Is Jenny in this morning? She needs to hear this. <laughs> and we shovel it out to everybody else. But no, you've got to have the Peter spirit. Peter says, Lord, is this for me? Come on, I've got an open heart. Speak to me, Lord. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And uh, say, you know, be forgiving. And Peter's thinking it through, thinking, yeah, that's all right. But Lord, some people are horrible. So he thinks, ha, I've got the question. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And then to, you know, to be really holy, he says, you know, maybe, maybe seven times would be a good number. And Jesus turns and says, well, let's try 70 times seven. In other words, always forgive. And then Jesus goes on to do some more teaching, if you read that chapter down, about forgiveness, which wouldn't even be in the Bible if Peter hadn't asked the question. In fact, I've realized there's quite a lot of Jesus' teaching that wouldn't be there if people hadn't pressed him and asked the questions. See, you get far more from the master the more you press into the master. That's how it works. Matthew 19, Jesus dealing with this guy, we call him the rich young ruler. And he thought he got himself sorted. He'd kept the law. He was as righteous as he thought he could be. But he just wanted to be sure that he'd done enough to get to heaven. So he has a conversation with Jesus. You know, Jesus, just want confirmation, please, that I'm, I'm a good guy. I've, I've kept the rules. And Jesus looks into his heart and sees that he has an issue with stuff, with money and possessions. And he says, well, yeah, you've done well, but how about giving away some of your wealth to the poor? Ouch. He went right into his soul and... It says that the, the guy went away sad. Well, Peter's watching this. Probably all 12 were watching it. But it's Peter that says, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, Jesus. What about us? You know, we've given up. I give up my fishing business for you, Lord. You know, I've given up my family. I've started to follow you. I've, I'm, and Jesus gives some wonderfully profound teaching about how God will never let you lose anything if you forsake things for him. He says, yes, some of you have left family and some of you have left friends, but you're never going to be short because God is for you and there's riches in heaven for you and provision this side of eternity. It's powerful teaching that we love to read and go, yes. But it would not be in the Bible if Peter hadn't have asked the question. <laughs> he was engaging with his learning environment. So we could go on. So he asks, he's observant, he asks. But you know, I, I, he was also willing to take a few risks. You know, I, many of you are observant, but you'll ask questions from time to time. But when it comes to the big stuff, are you willing to step out of the boat? Because Peter's famous 
for stepping out of the boat, isn't he? And it's a fascinating story that where Jesus is, you know, um, they're in the boat in the storm and Jesus is walking towards them in the waves. It's, it's kind of weird and fascinating and mind-blowing all at the same time. And you, you know, think if you were in the boat, what you would have said if you saw this figure walking across the waves towards you. It would have freaked you out in the same way as it freaked them out. And I was reading it the other day in Matthew 14. I think Peter was nuts because... When you read it, this is what he says. John says to him, I think it's the Lord. So Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. What a stupid statement. I mean, you would not have said that. You would have said, if it's you, Lord, come here and get in the boat. That's what we'd have said. So he invited trouble. He, inv you know, he invited Jesus. But you see, he knew the safest place in the planet is not in a boat, in a storm, it's with Jesus. That's the place to be. He'd worked that one out. So it's, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. So of course, Jesus says, it is I, come. Come on then. Now he's, now he's in a fix. Because <laughs> Jesus said, come. And he steps out of the boat, you know the story, and Man, the water's gone hard. And now it's, it's messing with his little gray cells because this is not logical. It's not supposed to happen. And he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. And, and his, then his mind eventually takes over and he thinks, this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. This is not logical. And he sees the wind and the waves and begins to sink. And Jesus has to just get a hold of him and lift him back up, takes him to the boat. What a lesson he learned by being willing to take a risk. He learned stuff through that incident that <clears throat> those who watched it could never learn. Because some stuff you can only learn by going through it. You know, you hear the great stories, the great testimonies, and you think, wow, that's profound. I must remember that. But you know, now when you're going through stuff, you realize the power of going through things shapes you, molds you, and makes you in a way which you wouldn't necessarily choose sometimes because it hurts. But actually, the lessons it leaves invested in you for the future are profound. Are you willing to take a risk or two for Jesus? Because there'll be times when you hear him say, come on then. I heard you praying the other night and you said, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I heard you praying. You know, we, we want more people to come to our church. Uh, we're ready for them. Come on then. Here's some people. Come on, here's a risk. Will you step out? It might be a financial risk. It might be a business risk. It might be a relationship risk. It can be. But if it's Jesus saying come, it's the safest place in the world to be. Amen. It's the safest place. And Peter was learning that. Wow, take some risks. And of course, he's only human. And probably many of us remember Peter more for his mistakes than his positive stuff. So when we think of that incident of him getting out of the boat, we think, Peter? Oh, yeah, he took his eyes off Jesus. <laughs> you know, he stepped out of that one. Yeah, he began to sink, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be like Peter. Man, he stepped out of the boat. <laughs> He's the only person that I'm aware of so far that's felt the water go hard under his feet. Yeah. But he learned from it. 
You see, it's not just about taking a risk. It's when you make a mistake, learn from it. You know, he made a bigger mistake than that. Just before the cross, Jesus warned him, you know, that people are going to come after you guys because you're following me. And uh, actually, you're going to deny me, deny knowing me. Peter was, never, Lord. I will die with you, Lord. That's never going to happen. Well, many of you know the story. Soldiers come, they arrest Jesus, they take him, and suddenly there's chaos, confusion, and different people who are now getting, they're getting bullish, they're getting brave because, yeah, they've got Jesus. Anybody else who was for Jesus, we're going to get them too. He was nasty. Not a good environment. And people say to Peter, ah, aren't you one of his followers? Uh, no, no, not me. Then it happens again. On the third time, Jesus had warned him, the cock will crow. Well, the cock crows every day, every morning. So it's not unusual. Well, on the third time, the cock crows. Cock-a-doo-doo, whatever it is. And the sound of the cock crowing reminds him, hmm, what have I done? I've denied my Lord and Master. Even though he told me I was dumb in, I didn't even believe it. And the text simply says that Jesus looked at Peter. He looked across the crowd, caught his eye. And it wasn't a look of, told you so. It was a look of, Peter, love you, son. Come on, hold in there. There's some stuff you're going to have to go through. Just like there's some stuff I've got to go through. You know, I've, not to go off on a tangent, but Jesus is so good that even when you do make mistakes, he will always restore you if you're willing to keep moving. Peter must have been in a very bad place internally for quite a while. Because if you think about it, he'd, he'd messed up. Something in him, he says, when the text says that he went outside and wept bitterly, there's tears of repentance being wept. But he didn't have chance to fix it. I, I'm sure he wanted to go on, I'll go and have a word with Jesus and apologize. I need to say sorry to Jesus. But Jesus was arrested. Then Jesus goes to the cross and he's dead. He's left with unresolved issues. He wanted to say sorry. He wanted to put it right. And, so no wonder he was a pain in the neck to the other disciples for the next few weeks. No wonder he gets a bit down. No wonder he's thinking, what am I going to do? What's this all about? When the word came that the tomb's empty, no wonder he ran like Billio to the tomb. And him and John were there. And Jesus is gone. It's like, man, not only is he dead, he's now resurrected. Man, am I going to get my moment? And in his emotional angst, he decides, right, I'm just going to go back to what I know. Let's go fishing. And off he goes fishing. And while he's out fishing, he doesn't catch a sausage. Not that sausages swim. He doesn't catch, a, he doesn't catch anything. And as they're sort of heading back to the beach in the morning light, there's a guy on the shore who shouts to them, have you got any fish? And it's like, no, we haven't. And the man says, well, put your nets down on the other side and try again. 
He's heard that before. This has happened before. So he puts down his nets again on the other side. Suddenly, they're crammed full of fish. He's like, there's a deja vu moment going on here. He's been here before. Jesus is taking him right back to the moment, right back to his first call. They struggle to the shore with a boat full of fish again. And as they get nearer the boat, John says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And he says that Peter jumped out of the boat and rushed to the shore. He wanted to get to Jesus because he got unfinished business. <laughs> but what do you say? When he gets there, Jesus has already got fish on the barbecue. Now, what was all that about then? All that was about you, Peter. It was about me reminding you of the call. Refreshing your memory of when you said, yes, I'll follow him. And then Jesus says to him, have some fish. Question, Peter. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, you know I do, Lord. Hmm. Do, do you really love me? Yeah, I really love you, Lord. Okay. Do you really, really love me? Three times, Jesus allows him to say, I love you, to make up for the three denials. That's how completely and utterly Jesus will restore you if you blow it. We're all, we all make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We beat ourselves up and we get emotionally messed up by it. But you've got to keep going like Peter did. Keep engaging. Keep around Jesus. Don't withdraw. Don't go fishing and never come back. Keep pursuing Jesus. And he will take you on a journey that restores you to complete and utter wholeness. And you'll be the better for it and you'll be the wiser for it. Peter learned from his mistakes. Now, let me go back to my main point. This Peter spirit, this willingness to engage with Jesus, I said gives us something that we all want. I think Peter actually gets three things, and it's the last thing we all really want. But let me just take you there on a journey. The first thing that Peter got, because he was willing to put himself into Jesus, was a revelation. He got a very clear revelation of who Jesus was. You read about it in Matthew chapter 16, and it's a familiar story to many of you. Um, the disciples are sort of chatting to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey guys, what's the, uh, who do people say I am? Well, no, what's the gossip in the town about who I really am? And they, see, they have a bit of fun with it. Oh, some think you're Elijah, and some think you're Moses. And, uh, you can imagine them having a bit of fun. And then when they're all sort of humorous and they've loosened up, Jesus looks them in the eye and goes, and who do you say that I am? And out of Peter's heart jumped the words, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And it was, it was a revelation he'd had from the Father. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the son of God. And I believe every single one of you need that kind of revelation. Because if you're honest, you all have doubts about Jesus at some point on your journey. I do. We all do, if we're honest. We have days where we think, hmm, what if the Bible's wrong? What if Christianity isn't? The religion. What if, what if, what if? We have to go on a process and a journey. And along the way, as you keep 
having that Peter attitude of putting yourself in, you'll get to moments where you have this revelation, this light bulb moment where you go, you are the Christ. It is all about Jesus. Now, if you forget everything else I've said this morning, remember this. It is all about Jesus. And um, a light bulb moment, a revelation in your heart that he is the answer. He's the answer to human need. He's the answer to societal need. He's the answer to global need. Jesus is at the heart of the answer to the problems on the planet. But it didn't stop there. Because Peter didn't just get a revelation about Jesus. Jesus, like he always does, he spun it around on Peter. If you keep reading in, in uh, Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Then Peter spins it around and says, yeah, and you're Peter. And you're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And see, when you get a revelation of who Jesus is, he gives you a revelation of who you are. He turns it straight around and says, yeah, and you're Stephen. So you're Jesus. You're the answer, Lord. He says, yeah, and you're Stephen. And you're going to do some stuff for me. Every single one of you are called purposefully, equipped purposefully to do stuff for Jesus. And the more you keep your eyes on him and get an understanding of who he is, he helps you understand you. And what he says to every single one of us is unique and different to do with our destiny and purpose and calling and the reason we're on the planet. I love it. What Jesus gave Peter in that moment was his job description for the rest of his life. Because he did become the rock. The rock-like belief, yeah? And the rock-like character who was there at Pentecost and who became the leader of the emerging church as you go on through the story. So he got a revelation. Second thing he got, because of that revelation, was a relationship. Now, he already had a relationship with Jesus, I can hear you thinking, but... The point is this, when you get a revelation about something, you get drawn into deeper relationship. And if you track the story of Jesus through the Gospels, from that point on in Matthew 17, where he realizes, Jesus, you're the son of the living God. That's when Jesus pulled him aside and drew him into a closer group around him. From that point on, Peter James and John became a sort of closer little group around Jesus. And that's because of their revelation of who he was. It's because of what they understood about him. Now, was that fair? Well, I bet they had some interesting conversations in the discipleship group after this point. Because there's a number of things happened where Jesus did not include the other nine. So there's an example for one day, they're going off to prayer and they're going to this mountainside to go up and pray. Uh, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because of what happened at the top. But as they get to this place, Peter, Jesus for some reason turns around and says, okay guys, you, you pray here, but uh, Peter, James and John, you lads, come with me, we're going to pray up the hill. And you can imagine the nine going, <coughs> favoritism, <coughs> and off they go up the hill. Of course, when they're on the top of the hill praying, heaven opens. Yeah. 
And Jesus begins to change. He metamorphoses and becomes this, they get a glimpse of his glory. And suddenly, Moses appears and Elijah appears. I wonder how they knew it was them. Anyway, he says, hi, Mo. Hi, Elias. You know, but, and, and, and Peter's like, whoa, what is this? What am I seeing? It's, in, it's, it's earth shattering. It's envisioning. It's giving them a glimpse of glory. And they, it all happens. Then it goes away and they come down the hill. You can imagine the nine saying to the three, so what happened up the hill then? <laughs> How do you explain that? To these guys who were already grumpy because they weren't invited up the hill. No, it's just, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like when you come to church and God shows up for you. God speaks to you and you have a precious moment. God speaks a word into your heart. The worship is tangible for you. And afterwards, your mate who wasn't there says to you, and what was church like today then? And you go... Words can't say what it was like. And you say things like, oh, it was awesome. You know, God really, really spoke to me. All right, nice. I think that's what was happening at the foot of the mountain. You see, you've got to be there. You've got to be putting yourself in. You've got to be engaged. Because God treats each one of us in relative to the way we engage with him and put ourselves in. It's not, it's not an issue of it being fair or unfair. It's an issue of relationship. The whole of the Christian life is a relationship. And just like in the human sense, you get more from relationships that you put yourself into. It's the same with Jesus. Now, it, it is fair in terms of we're all saved. We all have equal grace, equal standing before God, equal opportunity but the challenge for us as modern believers is to put ourselves in, to engage with what Jesus is doing. If you will put yourself in like Peter did, engage with Jesus, you'll get a revelation about him and yourself and you'll get drawn into deeper relationship with him. That's a principle of life, by the way, not just spiritual things. Think about your job. If you work for a company that makes widgets, and you think, man, this widget is amazing. What this does for humanity, is, I believe in it. It's wonderful. What a joy to work for the widget company. <laughs> and you become a bit of an evangelist for the widget. And you say to all your mates, have you got a widget? Let me show you my widget. You know, oh, you need a higher model widget than that widget. And we get into the whatever it is. But when the company are looking to promote, they look for people who believe in the product. And you're, you've come to their attention because you've become a bit evangelistic about the widget. So they open doors for you. You get promoted. You get more money. You get deeper relationship because of your revelation about the product. That happens in every sphere of life. If you can get a growing revelation about how awesome your husband and wife is, you will be drawn into a deeper relationship with each other. Works. Anyway, that's another sideways comment. Um, <clears throat> I said at the start, I tantalized you. Peter got something that I believe we all want. And this is it. He put himself in strongly to Jesus by asking the questions and being observant and taking risks and so on. And because of that, he got a revelation. And he got a deeper relationship with Jesus, which meant 
in the end, he reproduced Jesus. <laughs> the bottom line is this. We go around saying, I want to be more like you, Lord. I want to reproduce you, Lord. If I could just be like Jesus. We aspire to it, don't we? Well, of all the disciples, I believe Peter got it. Because if you keep reading, all the examples I've given have been from the Gospels. Keep going into Acts. Who's leading the charge? Peter. In Acts chapter 2, he's there preaching fearlessly to the Jews like Jesus had done. He's the one who's interpreting the events of Pentecost to those listening. He's saying, this is what it's all about. You keep reading. In Acts chapter 3, when him and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and there's a guy there who's a cripple, what do they do? They heal him, which is what Jesus did. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, the authorities are a bit worried. Because it's like, hang on a minute. We thought we got rid of the problem. We got rid of Jesus. Well, now there's all these other little Jesuses popping up, doing the same stuff that he did. And so they, they arrest James, uh, Peter and James and John, a few of the guys. And they say to them, you stop talking about Jesus. And they say, sorry, boss, we've got to obey God, not man. We're going to keep doing it. They have a prayer meeting and the room shakes. They get courageous. And it says in verse 13, chapter 4, that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note, these men have been with Jesus. That's what it is. It's flipping Jesus coming back to haunt us. <laughs> and every single, because that was always the plan, that everyone who had believed in Jesus, who had engaged with him, who was following him, now was becoming Jesus. And the same life and passion and vision which brings liberty to the world, those religious leaders didn't like it, wanted to suppress it. Well, roll it on 2,000 years, nothing's changed. You are Jesus in this community. Every single one of you. And if you will aspire to be as like him as is possible, it's part of being the answer to this community. In Acts chapter 5, Peter's shadow falls on people and they get healed. And at the end of the chapter, it says that people just brought their sick from all the surrounding towns to the disciples to pray for them. And it says all of them were healed. I'd like a little bit of that. You know, on an average prayer line that we have, like half get healed. <laughs> and we, we go, what's going on? But there's, there's, a, there's a provision, there's a there's a, an anointing in Jesus which we've got to tap into. He then has to deal with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, and so it goes on. In chapter 9, there's an interesting little episode. A lady called Dorcas dies, and Peter raises her from the dead. Flipping egg. Well, let me tell you this. He knew what to do because he'd been in a raising the dead class. Because back when Jesus had raised Jairus, his daughter, from the dead, when they got to the house because the girl was sick and they said, oh, I'm sorry, she's died. She's in that room. Jesus had done his unfair thing. 
he said to the nine, you nine stay out there, you three come with me. And he'd taken the three into the room and they'd watched him raise the girl from the dead. Imagine if Peter hadn't have been in the room. Maybe he wouldn't have known what to do when Dorcas died later on. See, if you will press in, get your revelation, get drawn into deeper relationship with Jesus, allow him to take you through stuff and teach you stuff, it's there for the future. So by Acts chapter 9, when Dorcas dies, Peter knows exactly what to do. He's got faith in what to do. And if you compare the accounts, he does exactly what Jesus did with that young girl. Fabulous. So we could go on. Chapter 10. He's going outside to pray like his master. And my point is simply this. Peter reproduced Jesus. And that is still the plan of God today. But everyone who chooses to follow him become a fully mature disciple of Christ. That we don't stay spiritual babies. We keep growing. We stay on a journey. And staying on the journey requires that you make a choice, a daily choice to stay. I'm going to engage fully with you, Jesus. I feel grumpy. I have a bad head. I feel a bit off it today. I feel depressed. You've got to get hold of yourself and say, Jesus, you're still king. You're still Lord. I'm here. I'm putting myself in. Because the more you engage with that environment of being with Jesus, oh, it's a learning environment like no other. And you take Jesus to work with you. And you take Jesus to school with you and to uni with you. And you have Jesus, you know, in the home with you. And the fact that you're engaging with him, he helps you engage with all the other learning environments of your life. And, to, and, and get from them all that he has for you in them. My prayer is that every time you meet like this, you've all been out there doing life with Jesus. And you're so engaged with Jesus that when you come together and engage with each other, it's like, whoa, this is a powder keg of spiritual power and faith and belief that will further enrich you to send you back out to do the business some more next week. Will you please engage with the growth environment that Jesus is, amen? Let's stand together. I wanna to pray with you. The band can come back up. Then I'll hand back to Paul just to close things off. Just close your eyes for a moment. I don't know where this finds you, but I know people, and I know that our will is sometimes weak. Sometimes we, we make mistakes, sometimes we fail. And it's good for us to have moments like this where we can stand to our feet and say, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I engage with you now. Jesus, help me to follow you with all my heart this week. Help me to pull your life into this relationship dysfunction I've got or these financial problems I've got. Lord Jesus, I pull you into it. I engage with you first so that you'll be with me in those situations. Just bring specific things to your mind that you know you need to engage with Jesus about. And as you have them in your mind, lift your hands to heaven. And we're going to pray that God will do what only he can do as you do what only you can do. 
Father, I thank you that you see into every heart here. And Lord, I pray that you would see where an army, where your people here in this place, saying to you again, we're in, we're for you. We want to be more like you. Lord, we engage fully with you and your word and your ways. Please speak to us and lead us. Please give us wisdom for every practical thing we face this week. Lord, this week may we be salt and light like never before because of your life and your love that we're pressing in.